This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about the technology that affects us all, but few of us understand, presented in a format that can give you some basic understanding and the time it takes to drive to the grocery store. I'm Luke Covey, an independent journalist who's been writing about various technologies ranging from renewable energy to digital security for more than 40 years. I probably know more about it than you do, and if I don't, I will introduce you to those who do. A couple of weeks ago on my column on eeweb.com, the uh, illusion of security is what I call it, uh, I made a comment or made a column about the uh, inherent uh, security problems with Linux, uh, which is an operating system. It's open source. It's generally free. There are lots of different versions of it. And uh, essentially made the comment that because it's gotten so big, it's impossible to actually uh, design anything securely with it uh, because malware can be hidden in plain sight. And that, uh, when I posted it on my Facebook page, it actually popped up a uh, comment from a gentleman that I'd been working with for many years. I consider him to be a friend and a colleague. His name is Bill Weinberg. Uh, and we decided to do a podcast on his comment. I'll tell you a little bit about Bill. He has been around the industry for a very, very long time. In fact, he has been at the forefront of the development of Linux as a commercial tool, uh, uh, the development of open source uh, projects, and is currently the principal and senior partner of Open Source Sense in Florida, which is a company that helps companies who want to do open source uh, development. Uh, and he is an open source strategist and analyst for many, many companies, uh, going back to the founding of uh, uh, Montevista, uh, working with uh, uh, Link Software. And uh, he is just generally considered to be an expert in this field. And he's one of the go-to guys uh, in, in my life when I want to have a question about security. And when he popped up with this, how making an open source product uh, Secure is says that there are many trade-offs. One of them is the area of performance, and we went. We decided to have this conversation, and I think it's fascinating. Uh, of course, I would because I'm a tech nerd, uh, but it might help you better understand what's going on in this world and what you can expect. So, without further ado, let's go to the interview with Bill Weinberg. Uh, so, open source is supposed to be more secure because it's easier to find when people have put malware into the code because it's open. You can see it. The problem is, and especially with the issue of Linux, is that it has become so big that you can hide malware fairly easily. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. You've got to have a team of people to go through the code and actually see where it has been put in. You can find it, but it's just hard. And Bill responded with an interesting response on uh when I, I linked this on Facebook, and I wanted to get into that. Bill, do you remember what that was? It, it had to do with the particular scenario that you cited, but the answer involves a lot, a lot more stuff, really. Yeah. Um, it just it had to do with the fact that for the exploit that you had brought up, you already needed uh, privileged access to that particular system or physical access if it's maybe embedded Linux. And so that was my starting point. Yeah. And 
that that that's completely acceptable. But the, actually, the thing I wanted to get back to uh, is you made the point that you have you have a trade off when it comes to security and performance and the actual cost of development. That was the issue that I thought was interesting. All right, that, and that is the, the the point of the this talk. I did um, do some thinking about this, and the way I put it is that um, development of systems using open source requires a more open system than does deployment. This is true for any application. It's very true for IoT and embedded systems. And one of the real the, the real essence of this is that a fully secured system impedes development, but a system that's open enough for development is too insecure for deployment. Right. And and once you go there, that kind of expands. There's a lot of detail behind that, but that's the essential contradiction that I think caught your eyes and ears, Lou. Yeah, and it, well, it's been kind of a theme for me in that our digital world is inherently insecure from from the design point, and that's what a lot of people don't realize. You know, when, when, yeah, they, they, they talk about how they're making their phones secure, you know, on a personal level, you know, like I, I, I dial my security up on my electronics as far as I can and, and do whatever I can for it. And I accept the, the performance uh, restrictions that come with that. But at the same time, I know that it isn't secure uh, because, and, and we were having a conversation earlier about this, that it, it has become so deep and and so prevalent that, you know, you've got hundreds of companies out there that are working on the problem, but they're only solving it, plugging one hole at the time. The analogy that I've used is that the digital world is actually like a sieve with thousands of holes in it. And a company will come in and plug one of the holes and say, we've solved the problem. And it's not necessarily true. And I think people need to get to that kind of acceptance of the fact that it, that it's not secure and we may just have to live with it. Well, these companies are focusing on one part of the software stack or another because as you mentioned for Linux and for other large systems, there's just so much there that it's hard to look at the whole stack or the uh, whole solution. And so you end up with expertise that's at some part of the stack, whether it's the application layer, some part of the operating system, the hardware, the firmware, you know, it, it's hard to take a, a big picture. And as they were saying after 9-11, you, know, you, you seek to protect everything and everyone, but the black hats, as I prefer to call them, um, only need to find one chink in the armor, one hole in the wall. And in order to um, close them all, you end up um, making life more difficult, systems less useful. Uh, holistic security is hard to come by. Yeah. And we just have to be, kind of be prepared for that. Um, are, but this is a question I ask everybody, and I'm hoping you might give a different answer. Are we getting any closer to having a secure digital uh, ecosystem? <laughs> ecosystem is pretty broad. Um, I was doing some work last year for an endpoint security company whose approach was very, very comprehensive. And it was it reflected the approach that CIOs and CISOs in their hearts of hearts would like to see, but that is next to impossible to achieve in a real world setting. 
So, yeah, you can theoretically lock down everything. In this case, it was an endpoint solution that basically said no email can get by us. No, um, no program can run unless it passes muster from our test to see if it's malware based on known malware and behavioral tests to see if it's unknown malware. And that's something that in theory, everyone would love to say they do, but in practice, it's very hard to get anyone to implement it. And so you have all of these other half steps, micro focus, uh, hunting based approaches that now we're employing machine learning and artificial intelligence to help identify malware that's already present or that might be present in an email attachment or in a browser download. And so you end up putting a fairly large burden on the configuration, on the system. And so, yeah, I, it's certainly possible if you're able to keep out all this unknown content, questionable content, and keep tracking what's going, what's coming in new. The, the, the biggest problem that I see in cybersecurity is the amount of new malware that enters the worldwide system every day. Uh, terabytes of new malware makes its way um, all the time into the marketplace. And even when you're talking about known malware, one of the things black hats excel at doing is obscuring and mutating that so that existing software that relies on a variety of techniques to recognize malware can't recognize this these new flavors of even the same um, trojans and viruses and other types of malware. Well, one of the things we've I've talked about in, in the column on the, on, the, on Crucial Tech is uh, the the growth of, of AI, especially when it's applied to the area of digital security. Uh, and, and you just mentioned that with uh, with a portion of AI called machine learning. Um, do you think AI uh, can actually give us a, a heads up to at least allow the security professionals to look for new stuff while the AI is hunting, is blocking the bad stuff? In theory, well, okay. sure. In practice, AI, most of what's being termed AI in today's um, cybersecurity marketplace is just a more sophisticated kind of profile and pattern matching. And it's doing it more broadway, broadly, it's remembering what it did the last time, but it's it doesn't have deep insights into what makes malware malware. It People are trying, there's different ad hoc definitions that they're trying to teach these systems, uh, but at, the, at its essence, malware looks like any other kind of application, it's just that it's out to do something that is unacceptable in context. And, under, and understanding context is one of the biggest challenges for AI. Okay, um, that, that's interesting. There was a, a guy, a Dr. Prasad Malyam at the University of Missouri. Uh, I interviewed him at the start of this po podcast, uh, podcast series. Uh, he is working on uh, uh, an AI, software-based AI, uh, that will sit on a, a network, uh, in infrastructure and will actually identify well their goal is to identify suspicious stuff okay so as you said uh, you can't it, new stuff is coming up all the time and it's being morphed by the black hats 
Well, the, the idea he has is to find things that look similar to that, stuff it into a sandbox so it can be analyzed later and just allow the system to continue on with that particular piece of malware or suspected malware operating as though it is inside the network. There's, that is an accepted practice. And in, in fact, I'd call that one of a uh, best practice, but it has two challenges. One is the latency from the time you decide to lay it down into the sandbox until the time you've reached a verdict as to whether it is malware or not. And the ideal is, you know, one to two minutes. The reality in most of the marketplace is two or three days. And in two or three days, you know, let's say it's a document you need for your business. It's a Word document infected with malware, presumably, and you can't use it. Yeah. So you might be able to find a way to run it inside of a uh, of a sandbox that's on each and every system so that somebody, uh, an end user, isn't handicapped by the vetting process. But that does require a change in practices, and that, that's actually something I encountered in some of my recent work with cybersecurity. The other is that comes down to how you define a sandbox. So ideally, you want your sandbox to be very lightweight. You want it to look as much as possible like a regular operating uh, functional system. But you, the more you do, and the, the, a lot of malware is so smart that it even knows that it's running inside a sandbox and then goes and behaves differently or hides or, or, or makes its behavior more benign so that it's released from the sandbox into the real world and then it goes and does its work. So it's not trivial to come up with the definition of the sandbox. And in fact, there are people in cyber who don't even want to call something sandboxes for that reason. Okay. Yeah. Well, crap. I was always, I was kind <laughs> it's, of... It's, it's, it's one of those things where like, well, that's a great idea, but... And that's really another great idea, except that, you know, it has these challenges. And it's it's really terrifying. <laughs> I went to a, a, a cybersecurity conference uh, a couple of years ago, and every talk I attended, it, I just was squirming in my seat when I learned about, you know, how, how malware ends up getting downloaded from an infected site and how quickly it can take over a system and how fragile the sandboxes that are uh, that come with a browser are and things like that and so it, it, it's like the dictum that um, in theory theory and practice are the same in practice they're not yeah and that's what we're suffering from here uh, it's it's really it's an arms race and the black hats have a pretty big advantage going back to what we were talking about before that the uh, white hats typically focus on one part of the stack and are not usually in a position to be holistic in their solutions. Yeah. Well, Bill, I think we're going to have to leave it at that. That's kind of depressing, but <laughs> still, knowledge is good. Uh, knowledge is, is good. I don't. I hate to be the voice of doom, and in fact. On the topic of development, um, I'm going to send you some material that I prepared. If you want to think about it for other conversations or other stuff, I think you might appreciate some of the other thinking that has to do with what do you need to do to lock down certain kinds of systems from a more pragmatic point. It's more advice for developers. I think it would be an excellent uh, thing to do uh, probably for the column and maybe even for this podcast. So we'll, let's put that in our sandbox for consideration down the road. Uh, thank you, that, Bill. That's a great idea. Thank you. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Lou. 
Okay, that was Bill Weinberg, the principal and senior partner of Open Source Sense on the issue of security of open source products and uh, just generally the uh, potential for having a secure digital infra infrastructure, uh, which is not really all that likely, which we've covered before, but it bears repeating. Uh, next week, we're going to be getting into a, uh, an interview with uh, the CEO of Axiata Corporation on the issue of ethics and artificial intelligence uh, as part of a book that I'm working on with Axiata. Uh, but that has been our, uh, our show today. I uh, hope you learned something from it, and we will be back again next week. I look forward to talking to you then. This has been Lou Covey with Crucial Tech, a Footwasher Media production.